It really is a joy being here and, um, you know, fellowshipping with all of you. And I've been just really grateful for um, just your hunger for the Word of God and your, and your desire to learn um, even this theology of work because uh, I know you want to practically apply it in your lives. And um, it, it really is a hard thing. Unlike any other application, this is something that can really turn your world upside down because um, when you get a proper understanding of this, some of you guys might even, if you're going to be a doer of the word, uh, you might even have to consider changing your career. Or if you're on the path of pursuing a particular career, maybe shifting that uh, trajectory. So um, it's a hard thing. And I think as you guys listen to this and you learn the theology, understanding it is one thing, but humbling yourself and saying, I want to submit to this and I want to apply this in my life is another. And in order for you to do that, you need the grace of God. And um, so I am, I am encouraged that you guys are hungering to learn. And um, I am praying for you that God will continue to humble you and uh, subject you to the power of his word. Um, and before we get into the second part of um, the series here, uh, please join me in a time of prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful to, to hear your word. Um, God, we are humbled that um, you have given us revelation that is from above so that through that revelation we might peer in and see your, your glory and uh, through your glory be transformed from one degree of glory to another so as to emanate uh, the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ more and more. Um, God, I pray that as the word of truth goes forth, that you would help them to have minds that not only uh, that understand, and, but also to have hearts that are uh, receptive and uh, obedient and faithful. May we be a people who desire to not live for our, ourselves and our own glory and our own security, but a people who seek to reflect our Father who is in heaven uh, to display um, the gospel in our life. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you guys, um, if you guys want to get, uh, start studying this topic on your own, uh, I highly recommend a book called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. It's an excellent work, excellent work. Um, when I first began to study it several years ago, I started this maybe about four years ago, um, uh, because I just didn't know, I didn't have a theology on work. And, um, majority of our people, or actually majority of our people were college students at the time, but I wanted to prepare them for the working world. And so I began my studies on this and, uh, I touched upon several books, and it was frustrating because a lot of these books talked about work, but they didn't systematize it. They didn't give me a theology of work. And even in my own studies of the scriptures, I had a hard time trying to understand why work was valuable in and of itself, and not simply as a means of making money and taking that money and giving it to the church or providing for the family. Uh, and you know, the reason for that difficulty is because you know the the passages that talk about work they don't have work as a main uh, main subject or the main topic, uh, main subject of thought. Work rather is just maybe assumed or mentioned as a side to make a, make another point, to make a greater point. And, uh, what I realize is that the difficulty in understanding work is not so much, um, digging into a passage and, and bringing out some kind of insight, but the difficulty actually lied in broadly taking these different teachings bringing them together, stringing it together, and to develop a coherent systematic or coherent theology on work. And that's where the challenge was at. And um, this is what we're going to continue to try to do today. Just take 
number of verses. You guys will realize I don't have a main passage, but a lot of different passages. I kind of bring them together to try to help you understand what work is about. Now, for those of you who couldn't make it out yesterday, I want to try to review quickly what we talked about. Um, the intrinsic value of work. This is very important because it lies at the heart of what work is about. Work is intrinsically valuable because it's ultimately a reflection of our God. Work is intrinsically valuable because it's a reflection of our God. You see, our work reflects who we are. So if you're a cook and you cook a good meal, we say you are a good cook, a good chef. Right? Your work is not isolated from who you are. It reflects who you are. Um, the work is never divorced from the person who performs the work. So your work reflects who you are. Who you are is the pinnacle of God's creative work. And God's creative work is a reflection of who he is. So your work is a reflection of who you are. Who you are is the, ref- uh, is the pinnacle of God's creative work. God's creative work is a reflection of who he is. Therefore, what you do is a reflection of who he is. The value of your work, the intrinsic worth of work is found in the person, the character of Yahweh. Now that's massive. That should affect the way you go about work. That should affect your mentality. When you go about work and you do a lazy job, that tells me what you think about God. Your work reflects your worship of the triune God. So this really affects the way you should go about everything here. Therefore, regardless of whether you are operating on someone's brain or you're sweeping the floor or whether you're getting a PhD or uh, a bachelor's, you are glorifying God. You're just glorifying him in different ways. Does that make sense? Um, So the worth of work is not found in how much money you make. It's not found in how much money you make. It's not found in how much praise you receive from mankind, but it's found in reflecting the character of Yahweh. So you shouldn't be choosing a job because that pays the best. You shouldn't be choosing a job because that's where you're going to get the most respect. You should be thinking about this kind of career, this kind of job, because this is the best way in which you, you yourself uniquely, can magnify the Lord. So what you need to do is begin to examine your own heart and your own life and see, okay, what are my my gifts? What are my desires? What are my responsibilities? And what are my resources? And as you factor that into your life, you guys should start moving forward and say, I think this is the best way in which I can reflect my maker and my redeemer. And so it takes a, so the pastor can't just tell you what to do. You should do this, you should do that, you shouldn't do this. You need to take time in prayer and meditation and reflection to really think about how you want to magnify the Lord. It has to be a personal conviction. You can't just follow. You need to be convicted yourself. Now what we're going to do today is talk about the, I'll continue to talk about the intrinsic value of work, but uh, this time the relationship of work with our fellow man and specifically how we are to love our neighbor uh, through our work. Uh, you know, one of the things I hate in life is, is cheese. I hate cheese. Um, I, I, think it, I think it smells like, I really think it smells like feet. I, like, uh, and I, I don't know, I, I just think it does, you know. So, um, so you know, it's, it's the absolute worst when I go through a drive through fast food restaurant and I order a Big Mac without cheese. I, ch- I tried one time to order it. A cheeseburger without cheese? You know? uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, 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 the guy was like, hey, that's the hamburger. Like, I mean, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I would order, like, maybe a, a, a Western bacon cheeseburger with, without cheese. And, you know, it's the absolute worst when I go home and I find out that there's cheese there. It's just, I just, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset <laughs> because I'm hungry and I can't eat it anymore. It's, 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 it's tarnished. Uh, and, you know, 
at the moment, I feel, I feel cheated. I feel, I feel wrong. Um, and I'm thinking in my mind, how hard is it not to put cheese on the patty? If anything, that's less work for the guy. And, uh, and I was just, I didn't know who the guy was, but in my heart, I didn't like him. And, uh, and all the, the reason, because he didn't do a good job, right? He just didn't do his work well. The work is never an isolated event. It's not something that is done and just kind of stays there in a void. It affects people because work is where you are providing a service or product for another person. And so today, we're going to be, we're going to talk about the inherent worth of work, but direct our focus from how work reflects God to how work serves humanity. And we're going to approach this in the same way that we uh, approached things last night. We're going to first talk about the relationship between God and work and the relationship between man and work. So first thing I want to talk about is how God's work serves man and then how man's work serves man. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. And while you're going there, I'm going to read for us Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. It says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, it says, just listen here. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. As we learned last night, the first chapter Genesis gives us a record of God's work. Now listen to what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Follow along with me here. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, and what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The main lesson that is being taught in these verses is to love your enemies as God loves his enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's the main thought. That's the main teaching that Jesus Christ is giving. Now, I want to bring our focus into a side detail. Um... And it should be obvious right now, but it's how our God loves his enemies. How does he love his enemies? He loves them through his creation, by sending upon them rain and shining upon them his sun. He loves them with the very things and from the very things that he has, what, created. So work is the means by which God expresses his love to to all of humanity. You know, the only reason why we can enjoy the warmth of the sun and a nice you know, ball game at the park or a date at the beach is because of God's creative work. That's why everyone can enjoy it, believers and unbelievers alike. You know, one of the things I love to do is hiking. I like hiking. Um, I don't get to do it as much as I like, but among the hikes uh, I love is the hike up to Yosemite, Half Dome. Have you guys, have you guys been there? It's, it's absolutely amazing. If you guys don't know Half Dome, you know the North Face emblem? 
That's, that's where it's getting from, okay? Um, but it, that, that last stretch is kind of crazy. One of my friends, he couldn't, he, his legs cramped up and he couldn't make it out there. Uh, so my buff friend just put him on his shoulder and just kind of uh, uh, walked him up. And, you know, this, this hike is absolutely amazing. Everything is just massive. It's not just cute little streams kind of trickling down. You have, like, rivers just crashing on, like, rocks. You have a waterfall that is so high up that there's enough time for the water to just simply disperse and create a mist, and it envelops this trail, and it's, really, it's called Mist Trail, right? Uh, and, you know, when you get to that top part, it's, it's 2,700 feet high. It's absolutely amazing. It is beautiful. Uh, you go, you gotta go to the edge. You know, you kinda go to the edge, your, your palms get sweaty, you're like, you know, and you kinda, kinda looking down, and you get, and you kinda back up, cause it's so, like, scary, but you gotta look down again, and it's a very confusing feeling that you have. Um, and the experience is absolutely awesome. It's awesome, and what blows, and the reason why I bring that up is because creation is awesome. It is amazing what we experience. And what blows my mind is that there's something far greater than God's creative work. And that's his redemptive work. See, God's creative work, it, it brought forth the what? The radiance of the sun. It, uh, it cracked the face of the earth to create the canyons and the ravines. God's creative work fashioned like the petal of a flower. But his redemptive work exceeds the colossal presence of creation's greatest powers. And it surpasses the beauty of creation's most delicate and detailed designs. The cross, because the cross of Jesus Christ just cracks open the face of hell and breaks open a path straight up into heaven. That's what the cross does. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ emanates a glory that engulfs the radiance of the sun. And the work of redemption doesn't fashion and form a petal on a flower. It fashions and forms a living heart within a dead soul. God's redemptive work surpasses God's creative work in power, in design, in beauty, and in wisdom. And here's the thing. We are recipients of his redemptive work. We are recipients of his creative work, and we are recipients of his redemptive work. It's because of his redemptive work that we have been justified, forgiven of our sins. It's because of his redemptive work that we are born again. It's because of his redemptive work that we're brought into a relationship with the Father. It's because of his redemptive work that we're saved. Because of God's work, we have a relationship with God. For God so loved the world that he worked. It's a... um, Amazing, amazing truth that we get from the scriptures. Because of work, we are loved by God both in creation and in new creation. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The new creation. The work of creation and the work of redemption. In Second Corinthians four six. We are the recipients of both. So that's how God's work serves mankind. Um, and now we've got to begin to think, how does man's work serve man? How does man's work serve man? In the same way God's work serves man, so our work serves our fellow man. And this is significant for us as Christians for two reasons. First, it fulfills the second greatest commandment. And second, it extends God's provision to mankind. Two things. It fulfills the second greatest commandment. And secondly, it extends God's provision to man. Let's look at how God's work fulfills the second greatest commandment. I'll read for us uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, 35 to 40. Oh, you can turn there. Turn there with me. It's always good. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 to 40. 
It says this in verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Straight up from the words, lips of our Savior. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment is a personal ethic, a personal ethic for every Christian. Now, what is amazing about work, um, sometimes we don't really think about work. Uh, We just kind of do it. Uh, But when you take a step back and you think about work, it's amazing because it is inherently designed. It is designed to inherently love and serve others. So a person could be a bitter and hateful uh, individual, but if he works well, he will be helping somebody. So let's say a surgeon is just some condescending, prideful jerk. Uh, but even as a jerk, he can perform a successful bypass uh, surgery, and uh, in the process, he will be saving a person's life. I mean, regardless of whether a man cares to help someone, he will be, through work, helping them nonetheless. And so when I think about this, it's absolutely genius, Right? Here are these guys who might not care for anybody else. They just care about themselves, very self-centered. But through work, God has designed it so that he will, regardless of that, be helping and serving others. So even though a person doesn't hold to the second commandment as a personal ethic, he will be fulfilling it in a, most, in a superficial, practical kind of way. And this inherent nature of work has a vast impact on the quality of life uh, because we become the recipients of a compounded uh, service and care. Uh, Tim Keller, he quotes a guy named DeCoster who says the following. He says, look at the chair you are lounging in. Because you have made it for yourself. How would you get, say, the wood? God, uh, go and fell a tree. But only after first making the tools for that and putting together some kind of vehicle to haul the wood and constructing a mill to do the lumber and roads to drive on from place to place. In short, a lifetime or two to make one chair. If we worked not 40, but 140 hours per week, we couldn't make ourselves from scratch even a fraction of all the goods and the services that we call our own. Our paychecks turn out to buy us the use of far more than we could possibly make for ourselves in the time it takes us to earn the check. Work yields far more in return upon our efforts than our particular jobs put in. Isn't that cool? I think, I think it's cool, right? Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, God designed work to bless mankind. So as you work, you're not just out there making money, but you're participating in this really vast and crazy and intricate network that is designed for the betterment of humanity. You are participating in that. And if you are in school, you are preparing yourself for that. Now, as Christians, it's not, it's not enough to simply enter the workforce so that we content ourselves by meeting the needs and the desires of our consumers, our customers, and our clients. You guys know that outward performance is never enough for our God. So it's not for Christians, it's not enough for you to simply go to work and just do your job. That's never, external performance is never enough for our God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's read together verse 1 to 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
So in the same way, if you work, work hard and efficiently so as to help the sick as a doctor, design a home as an architect, or defend the innocent as a lawyer, but you do not have love, you gain nothing. Behind the work of every Christian, there must be love for his fellow man. As a doctor, there should be a genuine concern for the patient who is afflicted by disease. As an architect, there should be a care for the client and his desires and his needs. As a lawyer, there should be a drive for justice out of a regard and care and concern for the person that he is representing. The reason why we must love, we must love is because we are called as the sons and daughters of our God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35 to 36, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The act of love in our work is a reflection of our Father. Um, It's a reflection of His love, the love that He demonstrated for us upon the cross, the love of selfless service, the love of ultimate sacrifice. When Jesus Christ took upon Himself our sins and died on our behalf. When the world looks into our lives, they should be getting a glimpse of that kind of love from our 9 to 5. Many of you guys have heard of the shooting in Orlando that happened a couple of weeks back. Um, 49 people were killed at a gay nightclub uh, and um, 53 were injured. It was the deadliest mass shooting in America and it really really shook up our nation again. Um, Well, in the midst of all the pain, however, there were uh, a lot of people that came alongside and rallied alongside those who were hurting, and hundreds of people just lined up to give blood uh, to the victims. And uh, Now, in order to to feed all the donors, I don't know if you guys heard, but Chick-fil-A employees, uh, they got the the fryer going, and uh, they started feeding people, the people standing in line, Chick-fil-A sandwiches and uh, sweet tea. And, you know, what was so amazing about this is that it happened on a Sunday, right? It's just, what? Right? It's just, oh my goodness, right? It happened on a Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I mean, there, I can't count the number of times I've been disappointed at that. Let's get Chick-fil-A, you know? And then uh, it's closed on Sunday. Um, and, uh, well, the world got a, got a glimpse of this. They saw this. And they're, they, they're like, whoa, that is, that's crazy, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're on Sunday working. And helping these people who are uh, giving, uh, donating their blood. And, you know, news caught wind of this. Fox News said the following. So why is Chick-fil-A so generous? It's because Chick-fil-A's number one priority is not to make a profit, which they do. And it's not to make the best chicken sandwich in the world, which they do. Right? Uh, their number one corporate priority is to, quote, glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. To have a position, a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's their philosophy. And he goes on to say, Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the giant egg in the room. Back in 2012, Chick-fil-A was targeted by left-wing bullies after CEO Dan Cathy made comments supporting traditional marriage. They were accused of making, quote, hate chicken. They were accused of being anti-gay. And they were castigated by the mainstream media. In May, a New York City councilman objected to the southern restaurant chain opening or in Queens. Mayor Bill uh, de Blaso urged New Yorkers to boycott Chick-fil-A, and Councilman uh, Daniel Drum accused them of spreading a, quote, message of hate. I suspect if you ask folks around Orlando, um, if you, uh, I suspect if you ask, folks around Orlando would strongly disagree with that sentiment. If you ask them, I bet they would tell you that Chick-fil-A, um, 
um, Chick-fil-A doesn't just serve chicken. They serve a community. As we say back home in Tennessee, those folks at Chick-fil-A, they're good people. Uh, That is the theology of work. Now, if the employees at Chick-fil-A could somehow think creative and think about ways in which they could love and practically display the gospel by frying chicken, that means all of you can do it as well. This is the theology of work. Now, work not only serves mankind in imitation of the way God serves us by his work, work also extends God's provision to man. It extends God's provision to man. Um, In other words, our work serves as a channel by which God delivers his blessings to humanity. If you read the scriptures, you come to notice that God uses men uh, and their work to fulfill his sovereign purposes. An example of this is seen in the book of Genesis with Joseph. You guys know the story. I'm sure a lot of you guys know the story. After being sold into slavery by his brothers, so his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, Joseph was bought by an Egyptian officer by the name of Potiphar, who later imprisoned him on wrongful charges. But Joseph is freed from prison after a couple of years because he's able to interpret Pharaoh's prophetic dream. And after interpreting that dream, he tells Pharaoh, warns him, that after seven years of plenty, the the land, the earth, is going to be afflicted with seven years of famine. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 33 to 36, Joseph says this to Pharaoh. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt and so that the land may not perish through the famine. And so Pharaoh like, took Joseph's advice and he says, well, you're the one that interpreted a dream. Why don't you do it? Uh, and so what did he do? He gave Joseph a job. Right? That's essentially what he did. He gave Joseph a job. And through his work, Joseph preserved the life of the Egyptians, but not only the lives of the Egyptians, but foreigners as well, including his father, Jacob, and his 11 brothers who sold him into slavery. And uh, it's a kind of funny read. He's like messing with their minds throughout the entire time. Anyways, uh, uh, um, they didn't recognize him. Anyways, uh, uh, and so in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph, and so his brothers are all broken, all like, you know, they're all afraid of what Joseph is going to do to him because they sold him into slavery when he was a, a, a young man. You know, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said this to his brothers in reference to them selling him into slavery. He says in verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God would sovereignly orchestrate Joseph's enslavement in order to preserve the people through a deadly famine. That's the main point. That's the main point of that verse right there. But what you have to notice that is in the side or um, that is still there in the text is that the preservation, the preservation of God's people, the preservation of the people of, the, uh, people of Egypt is accomplished through work. God works out or fulfills his purposes, sovereign purposes, through work. And we experience this every single day. When we come before God and say, 
you know, give us this day our daily bread. In order for God to answer that prayer, what has to happen? The farmer has to be faithful with his work. Right? The butcher needs to be faithful with his work. The truck driver needs to be faithful with his work. And then the Albertson employee needs to be faithful with his work. Right? They need to be faithful with their work. All these people need to be faithful with their work in order for God to answer the prayer request that you give to him. Give us this day our daily bread. The reason why we experience God's blessing of shelter is because of men faithfully working. The reason why we experience the blessings of clothing is because of men faithfully working. The reason why we experience God's blessing of food is because of men faithfully working. God sovereignly controls employment, production, service, investment, and all the actions of men in order to extend his provisions and blessings to you. So when you work, it's not just you loving your fellow man. It is God extending his love to man through you. Now, the implications of this is massive as well. It is huge. If work is a God-ordained means by which he extends his blessings and provisions to humanity, then every kind of work is valuable. In the same way there is no work that is too insignificant to reflect the character of God, there is no work that is too insignificant uh, to be used by God to minister and to bless mankind. And so, just because you don't construct a huge building, uh, you make a, just because you don't make a surgical incision, or you don't run a multi-million dollar company, doesn't mean that God can't use your works to bless. Um, you know, one of the things my, uh, you know, Lucy, Lucy likes, uh, my wife likes, is when I do small things for her, I, uh, you know, those seem to be, uh, to make an impression on her heart. I try to do like big things, I take her out to a nice restaurant, but it doesn't have really lasting effects. Um, uh, I, I, like, I remember one time I got her, like, a, I thought it was, like, legit, like a golden locket, and I put, like, a picture of me in it, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, it's like me and her, but, you know, I'm, I'm there, right? I'm there, so I'm like, I, I give it to her, and she, she never wears it, right? She never wears, she never wears it. I know it's totally sad, right? It's, uh, like, um, uh, and I told her that, and then she wore it the next day or like the next week. I'm like, that doesn't count, you know? But, um, uh, but uh, uh, you know, the thing, one of the things that she remembers is, you know, uh, uh, when she was, she was sick, I went out and just got some like lemon and tea and, you know, honey and, you know, made her tea. And apparently that was, she really liked that. I'm like, okay, you don't have to spend a lot of money in order to, uh, and, I, and I love it, uh, I love it. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, we are people who grateful, we're grateful for the, for the big things in our lives. We're grateful for our car, uh, our home, our apartment, our furniture. But we're also grateful for the small things in life, right? Um, cup of coffee and a donut in the morning. Um, that $10 shirt that makes you look cute right now. Um, <laughs> Grateful for a clean park uh, where we can play sports. Um, we like a cold soda in a hot day. You know, people say that sometimes it's the small things in life that make all the difference. And um, you see, your work might be as trivial as picking up the trash in the park, um, washing the stains off a shirt, or making a cup of coffee at Starbucks as a barista, but God will use that to bless the people, even with the small things. And, um, and there's an absolute joy in knowing that we are being used by God in order to serve our fellow man and that through our work, we are extending God's love to the people. Isn't that wonderful? That's what you're doing. You're extending God's love to the people even if the people don't appreciate it, 
Even if the people don't notice it. God sees it. God sees your heart. So it doesn't matter whether you're a fine paintbrush or a blunt pencil because in the skilled hands of our God, he will produce the most beautiful picture of grace and love through you. So study hard, work hard, work diligently, efficiently, knowing that through your labors you are fulfilling the second greatest commandment and channeling God's provision and blessings to your fellow man. September 11, 2001, um, two planes crashed into the World Trade Center. Thousands of people running outside of the building while police officers and firemen were running into the building. And uh, within a couple of hours, the north and south tower of the World Trade Center collapsed, and 343 firefighters and uh, paramedics were killed along with uh, 23 NYPD officers. And after the wreckage, the firefighters, the paramedics, and the police officers, they, were, um, they continued to work around the clock trying to save lives, uh, people who were buried under the rubble. And in spite of all the, like, the emotional anxiety, um, uh, the loss of colleagues and friends, uh, the physical fatigue, they continued uh, to help. Author Gene Vaith, he says the following about the event. He says, here's real heroism. Everyone agreed. Professional athletes and movie stars accustomed to adulation said with one voice that they are nothing. Those cops, firefighters, and other workers at Ground Zero are the heroes. Interestingly, when the heroes took a break long enough to be interviewed, they modestly put aside the praise. They said, we are just doing our jobs. That is the doctrine of vocation. Ordinary men and women expressing their love to serve their neighbor, just doing our jobs. Your studies and your work is more than simply getting good grades, a nice salary, but it is a means by which you are called to serve your fellow man for the glory of your God. It is the way in which God extends his provision to the people. Understand the intrinsic value of work and work for your king. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we... um, Take a step back and just praise you for the genius of work. Um, That system, that vast system by which you uh, caused believers and unbelievers alike to help and to serve. But God, as Christians, understanding the work of redemption that is done in our life, the gift of creation that we have received from you, may we work in such a way to reflect your character of love to work in such a way where people will understand that there's something different about us, that we work not for ourselves, we don't work for our money and our prestige, but uh, we work for you. And God, I pray again that upon these people's hearts, you would compel them and convict them to begin to thoughtfully consider what it is that they want to do with all their life. And um, by your grace, many of them are young, or all of them are young, and um, I pray that even, as, uh, even in their early years that you would work within them so that for the rest of their life that they would live in such a way to honor you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.